Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle beat writer Susan Slusser, and today we welcome in Chad Pender, who talks about his family's background in pro ball, his talks several years ago with Jim Tomey, and transitioning to become a utility player. Then Nashville broadcaster Jeff Hem talks about the up-and-coming sounds players fans will want to look for. And finally, Dave Feldman and I discuss the week in A's baseball, what the team may or may not do at the trade deadline, and potential A's all-stars. Hello and welcome to the A's Plus podcast. Our guest today is A's utility player Chad Pinder, who's in his first full season in the big leagues, and he's turned into... um, really a very, very useful player and did so really quickly at a lot of different positions last year, which I think um, might have surprised some people, but I know, Chad, um, you were always very confident in your ability to play different positions. What was last year like for you kind of getting accustomed to that role? Uh, last year was a lot of fun. Um, obviously, the first time I went in the outfield, I was there was some speculation on how I would do, and then I had some, some time in the outfield in, in college, but never in professional ball, so kind of just learning on the fly and I think that first time in right field once I got a few games under my belt I kind of just ran with it and kind of got confident in right field and then it's kind of the same learning curve this year in left field I'm comfortable in left now so um, it's all just getting the reps and, and and once you get comfortable with those positions then from then it's just you're just playing baseball. Um, were you surprised by how well you played in the outfield initially because I, I know that there were some people who were kind of like whoa I didn't realize he could he could do that. Um, not really. Uh, there were some times where I didn't realize like what I was doing was good. You know, like cutting balls off and getting them in and, and holding doubles to just singles and stuff like that. Is I think when I started to realize like oh, I can play outfield. I can play outfield every day if they need me to. Um, so once I started like realizing and, and and seeing different plays that I was getting to and and stuff like that, I started to get more confidence and it felt like that I could play out there every day if they needed me to. What are the challenges of being a utility player and trying to stay ready uh, at a, a bunch of different positions? It's hard uh, because sometimes you do get in these streets where you, you play one position for, you know, four or five days out of the week. And then, you know, for instance, unfortunately we have Chappie go down and then I got to jump to third and, you know, haven't played there in a game since spring training so you know that's you know months months without seeing reps live reps um, at that position and that can be the challenging part is is trying to get like a real feel of repetition during batting practice so that you are game ready um, and getting into a groove at that position so I feel like that's one of the more difficult parts of being a utility player. Were there any people you kind of looked at as role models when it became clear that you were going to be kind of a utility player kind of guy? I know when it first started, we kind of talked a little bit about um, Ben Zobrist as a guy who in recent years has really kind of made that a uh, a premier position. Yeah, um, obviously Zobrist is one. Um, Everyone brings up Zobrist, and he's an amazing player and does an amazing job in multiple positions. Uh, But another big one that not a lot of people talk about is Marwin um, Gonzalez with the Astros, you know. He does it at short, he does it at third, he does it at second, he does it at first, he can play, he can play the outfield. You know, he, he's doing it at all the premium positions. So that's another guy that you look at and you're like, you know, that's a special, special talent to be able to have that on your roster and to have him 
to be able to play all those positions, you know, that's definitely a big one. Uh, how many gloves do you um, bring with you on a, on a road trip? Um, I bring three gloves down with me to, to the dugout, so I have my first baseman's infield and half of a glove, so I have other gloves, but those are the ones I bring down to the dugout. How many do you have in your locker, typically? Five, probably. <laughs> I probably have five or six gloves in my locker right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Um, did you borrow some initially when you first started playing some other positions? I seem to remember maybe you, you did. Yeah, uh, my outfield glove that I have isn't mine. It's Jake Smolenski's. Uh, my first baseman gloves isn't mine. It's Renato Nunez's. Um, so the only glove that is mine is my infield glove and then my backups. So. That's amazing. So when you first um, became a utility player, I remember talking to your dad about it. And your dad was one person who was not at all surprised you took so easily to it. Um, and your dad was a professional baseball player, but of course he was a pitcher. How much um, did sort of having your dad also play professional baseball, how much has that helped you over the years, And even though he's a pitcher and not a position player? Uh, it helped tremendously just with knowing the game, like what I was getting into when I got to the minor leagues. I mean, Nothing can truly prepare you for professional baseball, but to have like a leg up and have my dad, you know, hint to me how tough it may be at times and the long road trips and all that kind of stuff, that was huge for me. And then obviously having a dad that has, is knowledgeable about the game of baseball helps in the sense that, you know, fundamentally growing up, I knew what was going on. And, and then having him as a coach, you know, having him bounce me around in the infield um, just so other people could play time at shortstop or throw me in the outfield uh, growing up. You know, the outfield was few and far between, but at the same time, he showed me how being versatile and playing other positions can help. And it's funny now, coming full circle, because that's what I'm doing in the big leagues. Uh, the stereotype of a father who's played baseball at some level is, is sort of that they can be tough then on their kids who play baseball. Uh, your dad sounds like he's completely the opposite. What, what is your relationship with him like? Like, especially when you talk to him after a tough game or something. Uh, it is, it's, it's different. You know, we don't, he never really gets on me about the baseball stuff. Like he'll check in with me if I'm in a long rut, like just to make sure I'm good mentally, just seeing where I'm at, just reminding me that I'm a great player. It's just typical stuff that dads would do, but we never have, like, we've never had harsh conversations about baseball, about, like, you know, why are you doing this? What are you doing this for? Um, it's all positive. It's all, you know, just him caring and, and, and or noticing something that I'm doing because, obviously, he's coached me the longest. He knows my swing. He knows what I'm doing. Uh, but those conversations are few and far between as well. So me and him, um, we talk more about other stuff than, than baseball. So. That's so great, so healthy. Your um, younger brother Chase was drafted last year, so you've got two pro players currently in the family. What is that like? Do you check in with them a lot? How much do you talk about your sort of shared experiences now? Yeah, I, I let him come to me if he needs me. Um, I'll check in on him, you know, once every couple of weeks, uh, baseball-wise. Um, other than that, like my relationship with my dad, it's more family stuff. You know, it's checking in on him he's also getting married this offseason so just checking on him and and that and and see how and everything else is going as far as as life goes you know if he wants baseball let him come to me you know that's, oh, that's kind of the relationship yeah that's kind of how you and your dad are so yeah. that's that's neat um now i know when your dad was playing he was very friendly with um guys like jerry depoto he also knows jim tomey well from his playing days oh you've got a great story about meeting tomey once with your dad uh, and getting to talk to him what what was that like and what was your talk like um yeah that was in 
2016. It was a Triple A All Star game. It was in Charlotte, and uh, we were in the lobby of the hotel, and, and and Jim walked down, and my dad said hello, hello to him, and we kind of sat down, and Billy Ripken was there as well, and just got talking about baseball and hitting and different stuff like that, and and uh, that was a pretty cool moment listening to uh, to Jim and, and Billy talk about hitting and just kind of picking their brains a little bit. It was special moment for sure. Was it was there anything that he told you that you found yourself either trying to put into action or you know remembering at some point oh this is the thing that Tommy mentioned anything like yeah, that? Yeah for him it was just all the mental side just talking about confidence and and stuff like this stuff like that. Um, one of the big things I remember him saying like for him you know him walking up to the on deck circle he would you know look out at the pitcher and um, try to lock eyes with the pitcher and if the pitcher turned away from him or stopped looking at him he knew he had him like that was his like mindset and I thought that was really cool like badass yeah something to just think about like that's how confident he was as a player and obviously you know the numbers show you know what he did in his career so I thought that was pretty cool I wonder what would happen if he ever faced Dave Stewart if they would just keep staring at each other like never like <laughs> the game would have to stop yeah, while stop they stared staring contest? Yeah, <laughs> hilarious now you're um, obviously part of this wonderful young group of young players the kind of the young core of ace players that's come up together um, and I, I know a lot of people kind of refer to you as the glue guy and I've heard about Pindergarten when you guys were yeah. coming up you were the yeah. one that sort of like if anybody was out of line you were the one that sort of took charge uh, how would you describe uh, kind of your role with this with, within this group of good young players along with Matt Olson Matt Chapman and, and many more uh, yeah that's a good question I don't know I I just tend to get along with everybody and I don't have really a problem with anybody I just kind of go with the flow and I think you know people give me a hard time sometimes because they're like Dude, you never have anything bad to say about anybody I'm like well I just don't there's no weird. point you know so it's just like you know I'm just easy going I guess I don't know I love everyone on this team and I think that's what you need at, at, to have a good team the clubhouse has to be a good environment and got to be a good teammate that's that's my biggest thing is like there's no excuse to be a bad teammate. There's so many things in this game you can't control, but it, you can control how you are in the clubhouse or in the dugout. And ultimately, all that matters is winning. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm on the field or off the field, or you know, it doesn't matter. Like as long as we're winning, and like I think that's, I think some people people realize that and notice that. Like really, that's all that matters. All, all I care about. So I think people pick up on that, and I just try to be a good teammate to everybody. It does sound like you're pretty comfortable, though, saying something if something needs to be said. Like, you know, especially I think um, Keith Lippman mentioned, like, when Ryan Healy kind of, if he, you know, was a, went a little bit out of control or anything, you could, you could pull him aside and say, like, you know, calm down, essentially. Yeah, that, that was just a special relationship Ryan and I had. Um, as far as that role goes on this team, that's, that's not my, I mean, that's not my role right now. We have veterans that take care of that kind of stuff, you know, if people are out of line throwing stuff or acting acting how they shouldn't you know in the dugout or clubhouse or whatever um you know ryan and i have a special relationship and if something like that happened you know there were times but the only reason why ryan was like ryan was so passionate i've never met someone more competitive that wanted to win um and that's what made that makes him great so at the same time you got to respect that you got to there's a line you know people obviously care and they want to win so there are going to be you know, sometimes when people get frustrated and get mad, and you have to understand that. But when it does cross the line, there are times where you have to say, hey, "Come on!" Like, if if you're doing it every single at bat, then 
you know, then you have a problem. So, as a potential leader kind of player yourself down the line, as you get a little bit older, are you watching some of the veterans on this team? Is there anybody in particular you kind of look to? Yeah, uh, Marcus is one. Um, Jed, obviously, Jed is Jed is a uh, a leader in his own right. Like in the sense, he he just does everything right. He's a true professional. So if you want to watch somebody handle their business the right way, you know, Jed is a great one. Um, Joycey would Joycey and Lucroy would be more of the vocal side. Um, obviously, both of them are great professionals and they go about their business the right way. Uh, but those are the guys that you, if there is an issue, you know, those guys are on top of it. So at least from a position player standpoint. Um, sometimes when issues arise, position players, the position player veterans will handle it. Same goes with the uh, pitchers. So, you know, we have a great group of veterans and everyone talks about this young group, but truly we can't have a great young group without watching and leaning on veteran leadership. So we have, we have a great group of guys in that sense. Totally agree. Now, um, how do you evaluate the way you guys, the corner core young guys, are coming along now? You're all sort of in your first full season together, um, and Frank Libretto's obviously joined the team for at least a while now. How do you sort of um, see where you guys are right now and, and where you're heading? Uh, honestly, I, I, I believe that we're playing great baseball. Um, we have a heck of a division, you know, when we run up against the Astros and the Mariners and the Angels and the Rain. I mean, our division is incredible. Um, and it's not obviously the other divisions and other teams are, are great baseball teams too, but it seems like, you know, running up against the Astros every time, you know, that they were playing great baseball the last series we played and, you know, they swept us or whatever. But I think we're doing great as a team and I think – it's over the course of the season, the big picture, everything will be great, you know. Right now, I think we're two games over 500, and um, I think we're playing great baseball, to be honest with you. The, the fact that it seems like the team is improving a little bit all the time, how, yeah. how important is that, especially with a young team? Because it seems you're, I think coming into the season, everybody would say like a 500 season would have been really a nice goal, mm -hmm. but it looks now like you guys might be capable of more than that. Yeah, I mean, as, as long as you're showing development, I think that's that's great. Obviously, you don't want to be stagnant. You don't want to, like, start digressing and, and playing worse, you know. I think the more and more that we play the young guys in this league, we will grow. We will, we will eventually slowly become the older guy, the veteran. But right now, it's just about developing and, and adjusting to the game up here and, and playing baseball, and I think we've been doing a great job of that. How about you personally? How do you feel like your season's going? Um, for my role, I think I'm doing great. You know, like the plug and play, you know, to start. And there's been some injuries where I've gotten opportunities to play. Obviously, as a, as a, as a competitor and a baseball player, I want to play better. I want to hit better. I think I'm striking out too much sometimes. But there are times where I put too much thought and pressure on myself to do more when I don't really have to, um, especially in the role that I am. Um, I'm happy with where I'm at. But I want to. I want to continue to develop. I want to get better. I want to be. I want to be a main, big contributor to the team. So that's my goal, and that's just daily, continue to try to get better. Wonderful. Well said. Thanks so much for joining us on A's Plus, Chad Binder. Thank you for having me. Plus the Players' Choice segment, we, we have a broadcaster rather than a player, Triple uh, A Nashville Sounds play-by-play -play man Jeff Hem, who is joining the A's for a doubleheader at Chicago, which has got to be a lot of fun. 
Um, what, what was this like for you, kind of flying in and, and getting to broadcast two big league, league games? This this is amazing. Whether it's one game or two games, it's it's amazing. It's what I've been trying to get to for a long time. It, in that regard, broadcasters are very similar to ball players. Uh, you never know when a call up could come. You never know how long it's going to last. Although I know how long this one's going to last. It's just for a day, which I have no complaints about. Uh, just appreciative of the A's to, to give me the opportunity to jump in for Vince for a day. And then the rainout happens yesterday, and in our world we never love doubleheaders. This is the greatest doubleheader uh, in baseball history, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, you're super psyched about it, too. That's very cool. Now, you're in an interesting position because you know a lot of these guys. You've, you've called many of the guys games that are here. Uh, what's, what's it like for you? Since you know them so well, probably your preparation might be a little different it's, than it would be. It totally calms the nerves a little bit. Now I say that before we've actually gone on the air. I think it will calm the nerves. Um, I think that was a factor in the A's seeing me as a nice option for this because, you know, maybe 18, 19 of the 25-man roster has come through Nashville and not just uh, made an appearance but had some lengthy stints there at times. So it, it makes it fun to see what these guys have gone on to do. Brings back good memories of, of getting to watch them behind the scenes and, and really truly seeing the work that they put in to try to get here and stay here. As you know, guys come up and down all the time, but staying here is a whole different game, and a lot of them are doing that, which is really cool to see. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it totally makes it a, an easier experience, I think, at least from a preparation on the A's standpoint versus the White Sox, because most of these guys have been sound. Now, um, uh, what are, your, are you surprised by any of the former sounds and what they've been doing here? Anybody kind of jump at you that's on the current roster that you, that you called their games and you thought, like, wow, I didn't realize maybe that they'd either stick so long or do well in, in Bowl X? Yeah, I, I would say not really because so many of these guys were so highly touted and performed that well down in Nashville. Like Matt Olson, it took a little bit of time from his 2016 into 17, but that's not all that uncommon to see these guys. I mean, there are very few examples of the guys who just come up, never go back, and they're stars right away. I don't think it's a surprise that Franklin Barreto has had this learning curve. Matt Olson went through it too. Um, we didn't have Sean Mania for very long in 2016. It was pretty clear stuff-wise. <laughs> he did not belong at AAA. Um, you're never necessarily predicting a guy's going to throw a big league hitter, uh, no hitter. So in that sense, that was a surprise. But stuff-wise, it doesn't surprise me. So, you know, it's. I think it's a credit to the depth of the farm system that I'm not shocked by too much of this because we saw the talent uh, in Nashville with most of these guys. So it's. It's, it makes sense that they're doing this up here now. Well, I think the one guy we might be a little surprised by here, um, just in, maybe in the way he's he's quickly moved up into a, a prominent role, is Lou Trevino. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I would say so, only because le even this year, in the brief time we had him in Nashville, it looked like somewhere along the line, whether it was off-season or spring training, he, he took that proverbial next step. He was throwing hard last year in Nashville, but was a little bit more erratic. And now to go from, like you said, a call up to now a reliable, consistent late game guy that Bob Melvin has no hesitation with, that I, I would agree. That's a good one. That That is a little bit surprising because most guys don't take on that kind of a role that quickly. Now, now relief pitching has been a, a real uh, strength of the system. What, what are your impressions about what, what the Nashville has now and kind of some of the guys that have gone through there in, the, in terms of the bullpen? Yeah, I think, I think Josh Lucas is a good example of that. A new guy claimed late in the spring and acquired, but um, 
stuff-wise, guys just just don't hit him. They they have awkward swings. He he's got a little deception there. He's not throwing 98, but it seems to the hitter, I think, like 98. I think that was a really good addition. Um, he he so far he's kind of in that back and forth. Uh, the Andrew Triggs of a couple of years ago, where he's on that Oakland to Nashville uh, flight often, but um, I think he's got the stuff to stick in a big league bullpen. I think that that really maybe changed the game depth-wise. Just that one acquisition because things got deeper when they got him. Anybody else uh, on Nashville's current roster that's kind of standing out to you, maybe having a nice season that uh, you think we might be looking at seeing here at some point this year? Hard to say how soon, but it's the, the, the prospects are really starting to come along. Sheldon Noisy just last night got his first home run. I know he's been waiting that, on that for a while, and everybody probably surprised by the first couple of months he's had because he had such a great big league camp. I'm sure Sheldon is as surprised as anybody by his first couple of months, but his last two weeks have been much better. Jorge Mateo still raw, still has some developing to do, but, man, the tools are, are really impressive. And then the nice addition has been Ramon Laureano, the guy the A's got from a loaded Astros outfield where he would have been lost in the shuffle, and now he becomes more of a guy. He's got all the tools. He's got a great arm. He already is almost leading the, the Pacific Coast League in outfield assists, and he's only been here uh, at AAA over a month. So he's been a nice addition. And so those few prospects, they're not necessarily coming tomorrow, but you can see the future with their potential tools. Now, he's not on the 40-man roster, but obviously James Nails had a, a fairly um, you know, eye-opening, I would say, year. There have been stretches where it looked like he was pretty dominating. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's been really good. Got off to a good start, and then I think the league started to adjust, and then he's back to adjusting to them because his outings lately have been better. He had a little rough patch there in the middle. Um, and I think a guy, this is just my personal opinion, I think if you look at who the names were going into the spring and some of the unfortunate injuries that occurred, I don't know that he was a lock for the AAA rotation to start the year, and he's really taking advantage. We talk so much about opportunity, and it sounds so cliche, but guys have to take advantage of it, and I feel like James has done that because uh, without a Grant Holmes, without an A.J. Puck, with the Cotton and the other injuries, all of a sudden he emerged into that AAA rotation and has done really well, and I think he's the only guy from our opening day AAA rotation that is still in the rotation oh because most of the guys have come up here and either done well and not come back or subsequently fallen on injury as well. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Um, how have some of the the guys that have been on rehab assignments look to you? Obviously, uh, Matt Joyce was there for a few days. You, you've had uh, some other guys come through there recently. Yeah, Joyce looked really good. Uh, not a surprise, I guess, in that respect to see him here. He only had, and he didn't miss a ton of time, but he only had a couple of games with the Sounds. Um, Ryan Buchter just pitched last night. Looked really good. I know he's going to have another one today to, to test the goal going back to back seems ready his velocity was in that low 90s where he usually is looks pretty good uh, and then I think Boog Powell will be on a little bit longer plan given the time that he's missed but he's he's looking pretty good at the plate too and and we always know he can run it down in the outfield that's fantastic Jeff Hem thanks so much for joining us on Ace Plus and have a great time today it's wonderful to see you it's great to see you in person and not just reading you on Twitter <laughs> thanks for having me this is uh, this is awesome We welcome David Feldman back to A's Plus for the Slus Plus segment, or maybe if Feldy, since it looks like you're going to be kind of a regular with us as a, a Feldman Plus, Feldy Plus, I, I don't know. Uh, whatever it is, oh. it's, we are very happy to, to have you joining us um, to talk all things A's. Uh, the A's are on a nice, long 10-game road trip. They're continuing to play well on the road and to beat the teams they should. What, what do you kind of make of this? these trends the A's have of playing best on the road and away from the American League West. Yeah, getting out of the West is a huge advantage for the A's. Um, 
for whatever reason. Although the winning this series against the Angels this past weekend, uh, uh, that's good. That's a good sign. But they definitely play better outside of the division and on the road. They are just a power laden team. I mean, think about it. They go to San Diego, a ballpark that is really tough to hit home runs in, uh, and they even held Chris Davis there in the inning. But then, boom, boom. They go crazy in, in the first game and then five bombs in the second game. And it reminds me a lot of 2012 because that's what the A's started doing in June. They just started hitting home runs, especially on the road. Um, for whatever reason, and everyone talks about the Coliseum and, and it's a tough home run park, but we've also seen that there are plenty of players who can make the Coliseum look small. But this team on the road is just bombing the heck out of the ball. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it. They've they've got to be very happy that um, so much of their schedule coming up before the break is on the road. I think they're playing twenty of twenty five games away from the Coliseum. Um, so it, this might be a nice time for them to take themselves out of a position to to start selling off players. Exactly, because you see that they're already catching up to the Angels, right? They're starting to make a little move. They just need to win series, and you have a, you have opportunities with the White Sox and the Tigers to win series. Uh, your homestand, you get you get Cleveland, which is going to be tough, but then you get San Diego again. Take care of San Diego. The road trip before the All-Star break is going to be uh, a real truth teller because you go to Cleveland for three, Houston for four, and then end up against the Giants at AT&T Park where the Giants play very, very well. Um, that is going to be an incredibly tough stretch and one that they need to be successful in. I think if they find themselves at or below 500 at the All-Star break, they can just say, you know what, it's not happening for us this year. Let's see if we can move some pieces. But if they find themselves above 500, maybe they think, let's add some pieces. I think that's going to be the, the road trip that's going to tell you the direction of this team. Yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, that's very fair to say. Now, last week we talked a little bit about who might be on the block if they do turn into sellers. Uh, Jed Lowry and Blake Trinan are obviously the two two most obvious ones. Um, and and we we talked about the fact that there are good good reasons to hang on to both. You know, unless they unless they were to get a haul, I I think Trinan could bring back a haul uh, given his cost control and how my my goodness how well he's pitching. Uh, but I don't see Jed Lowry. You know, last last summer during the trade deadline, the A's got no calls at all on Lowry. There was no interest. Um, and you always think of him as a guy who could probably be a pretty useful player, um, particularly, you know, the, when he gets in a hot stretch, uh, a very valuable player. But um, I'm guessing that that's, they're, they're probably not going to get many offers. And if, if so, probably not good ones. But um, yeah, I, I don't really see um, other possibilities from this team, but I, I don't see them moving Chris Davis. No, I don't see him moving Chris Davis at all. And again, the Trinan thing, as you mentioned, cost control. The fact is that you have three more years of cost control with Blake Trinan. Now, you and I both agree you don't spend money on closers. Uh, as we saw even across the day with Mark Melanson, and we've seen many other times, you spend money on closers that never seems to work out. And you don't need to. You can find yourself a closer. But with the cost control of Trinan, uh, you're not going to spend that much, especially in, in the next couple seasons. So you have to get blown away by what you're going to get received back for them to move Trinan. But Lowry and Trinan, definitely the most two, the guys you think you're going to get calls on. And Lowry, he's not going to get called from a team to be a starter for them. He's going to get called to be a bench player, and that's not going to bring a lot back. 
Yeah, and he's not going to be very happy about that either. I don't I don't see him as a bench. He's really not a bench player. And, uh, you know, he likes to have a nice defined daily role. He likes to be in the lineup all the time. And, you know, he's a switch hitter who works really hard at his craft. And uh, even after a couple of days, he tends to um, uh, off. He tends to, to lose it a little bit. So uh, I don't think that would be ideal. With, with Trinan, you know, if you trade him, do you go with Lou Trevino as closer? He's awful young. That seems like that that would be a little bit of a – that might be tough. So, I don't know. I, I kind of tend to think, even if they're around 500, and um, that they hang on to guys rather than uh, trading a, a bunch of guys. Now, if they're better than that, David, what do you try to go get if you're the A's? If you're in a position where you can maybe buy, what do you go after? I think you want to go after uh, another outfielder, uh, Maybe a left-handed hitting outfielder. Uh, Matt Joyce is supposed to rejoin the team, but you know Matt Joyce isn't—he's not lighting the world on fire, right? This isn't the 25 home run guy that we saw last year. He's just—he's hitting 196. So I think you want to see if you want to bring an offensive player in, a left-handed hitting outfielder with a little bit of pop and a little bit more production, and then again a starting pitcher. We've the A's have been through so many starting pitchers. You love to get one guy that you can just count on every time he goes out there. Right now, the A's have had two starters make every start, right? Sean Manaya, Daniel Megan. Um, Frankie Montas is, is looking like he's going to be a guy you can count on. Other than that, it's really been a crapshoot. So to get another starter to really solidify the rotation would be key. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've been saying even during the offseason, um, you know, a, a veteran starter, a reliable kind of workhorse veteran starter would be great. The problem is, you know, the A's are in a rebuild. You don't want to give up too much. So you're not looking at necessarily a, like a really high-end type starter. No. you To me, you're looking at a guy who's just going to be able to take the ball every fifth day and get you into the seventh inning. Um you know, and a guy who probably maybe has one more year left on his deal, too. Somebody that you like, you're going to have to get somebody up. Because, um, again, you're not doing this as a one-year thing. Uh, with the way the American League is this year, it's going to be really tough, no matter how well you play, to break into the, into a playoff position. Uh, you know, the Mariners came back to earth a little bit with the getting swept in New York. Uh, we'll see how that affects them going forward. But unless they really fall off, it's going to be tough to, to – put yourself in that playoff position so yes you want to improve this year and you want to compete but you, again you're looking for years ahead so if you do make that move you like to have a guy with a little more control uh, another year but uh, but just a solid guy he's not going to be a superstar you're not going to get a superstar um but you never know what you can find there and guys with one more year left on their deal yeah i mean i think the A's should be you know some of these uh teams that they're playing now are guys maybe the A's should be looking at their staffs pretty pretty carefully while they're playing them and say like you know is is this veteran guy maybe somebody we could think about acquiring for for not too much so um that adds even a little more intrigue to some of these games coming up before because i do think if i do think it's much more likely the a's would be looking to add than subtract but um you know me david i always tend to to uh, think glass half full rather than empty and and the annual sell-off i think is is getting to everybody and the the ace front office knows that you know they they've talked about trying to sign some guys long term we've discussed uh i think uh ad infinitum about how, uh, how difficult that might be um, because it takes two to do uh, long-term deals but uh, they know so i even even more so i think that the, the you know a big sell-off is not what we're going to see 
Now, um, the A's have a, you know, potentially a little bit of good news. It looks like maybe Matt Chapman, uh, you know, he got another cortisone shot for his wrist, which is what he had during the spring. It was effective for several months before the wrist started bothering him again. Um, and he got another one. So clearly, if there is going to be a long-term solution, it's not going to be anything until the, to the end of the season, unless this cortisone shot does not work. But what do you, what do you make of the fact that this, they went this route? I think it's the, the, the right route to go. Uh, you don't want him to miss as much time. You want him to see if he can just stay healthy with a shot or two um, before you delve deeper into what the problem is. We're, we're in the getting near the end of June already, so there's three months left in the season, um, and you hope this can take him through those three months. And you know, We were starting to hit the ball a lot better before he got shut down. Um, I'd like to see that improvement. you like to see consistency from Matt Chapman because he's going to be one of your cornerstones. Um, and you want to see him be – you're really hoping that he's going to be a superstar, right? That's what you hope. You hope he's the Evan Longoria of the Tampa Bay Rays or what David Wright was to the Mets. I mean, this is the type of guy that he can be. And for him, you want to get him healthy, you want to get him on the field, and you just want to let him improve because he's – from what the looks of things, he's only going to get better. Yeah, he's special. He's a special player. Um, Steven Piscotti seems like he's he's sort of starting to get on track a little bit more consistently we've seen flashes here and there of course we know he was dealing with such an awful family situation with his mother Gretchen's illness ALS and then of course her, her death last month um, a horrible time for the family but it does seem here in the last couple of weeks that um, he's starting to find a little bit of a groove what, what are your uh, impressions of what uh, Stephen Piscotti's given the team here this last few weeks yeah, this is the player that the that the Athletics traded for, the guy from a couple of years ago who was a very productive player with, with power and good defense. You know, besides the, the family off-the-field issues that I can't imagine anyone trying to deal with and then play baseball at a major league level, it's mind-blowing. He also had to change the league. We don't talk about that much as much anymore, but there's still a big difference. He's seeing AL West teams. Uh, that he really rarely played when he was with the Cardinals. So it's a whole new set of pitchers to learn, as well as the teams in the Central League. And you saw a little bit of it in San Diego. It's like, oh, I've seen this guy before. Boom, home run. Um, I think now as he's starting to see guys, he's getting more comfortable, different cities, different pitchers. He's starting to feel like the Stephen Piscotti of a couple years ago, and he's going to be able to produce, hopefully, like that guy. Um, you know, mentally, it, it's, it's, just a, it's just a healing process and growing. And then it's also the learning process of a new league. I think it's all coming together. And I really expect, and just from seeing these glimpses that we've seen, the second half of the season, Stephen Biscotti is going to be a very, very productive player. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think he might be uh, huge for them. I really I think, um, you know, his, his life is sort of, uh, he's, they're sort of through the emotional rough patch. Um, you know, obviously it's going to be tough for him. Um, he's going to have some some rough days, you know, de still dealing with the aftermath of his mom's death. Uh, but he really looks to me like um, offensively, much more what they were hoping for. And I talked to him a little bit about it, and we talked about changing the changing leagues aspects. And he said to him, the main thing is relievers. 
it's not necessarily seeing new starting pitchers. He said, you know, one or two at-bats, you kind of get an idea what their throw, how they might be approaching you. But a reliever's coming in, you're seeing once per game, that's your one shot. So now he's seeing some of these, especially AL West relievers, multiple times. He said that's the biggest difference for him, and he thinks that's where um, he's got a real chance for his numbers to kind of improve. And the one thing I've noticed with him that doesn't surprise me coming from the Cardinals, he's so fundamentally sound offensively. He's a guy you know is going to move the runner over, and he's going to hit a sacrifice fly when there's a man at third and less than two outs. And, David, over the years with the Oakland A's, we know there have been years they haven't had a guy in the lineup that can consistently hit a sacrifice fly when needed. Stephen Biscotti seems like he always does. Yeah, what about that? A fundamental player. Yeah. And not just the, the sacrifice fly and putting the ball in play, but he has something that you don't see anymore, and that's a two-strike approach. That with two strikes, he does shorten his swing a bit. He's willing to go off-field and put the ball in play, and that is a little bit of the cardinal way. Um, you know, in this age of launch angle, and you're not giving up a swing with two strikes. It's like you're not giving up an out when you got out to give. Uh, he's willing to do the, the, the little things that keep an offense moving and scoring runs. I'd like to see more of it from, from more players, to be honest with you. I think it's a better game when players play that way instead of just trying to hit the home run every at bat. It's, it's a nice it's a nice player to watch play this game. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned launch angles because when I talked to him the other day, he, he was saying specifically he's kind of done with launch angles. Like, you know, that was something he kind of looked at like everybody else did. But he said it, it's not something that worked for him. It kind of put wrong things into his head, and he's decided just to go back to being a up-the-middle line drive hitter, hitter. You know, try to hit head-high line drives, balls in the gap. Uh, you know if you get a hold of one every once in a while, one's going to go out. Uh, he said it works better for him. So that thinking about the launch angle, you know, trying to, you know, tr- work on the launch angle, that just wasn't something that worked for, works for him. And I think that's probably true of a lot of guys. Um, and, you know, we, we see so much now. We see all the, we, a lot of home runs in the game, but an awful lot of strikeouts. I think some of that, and just it's accepted now, huge high strike strikeout rates. But I think the launch angle thing is one of the reasons we're seeing that, you know, along with guys throwing harder and all these other relievers, et cetera. But, you know, they talk about pace of play and losing fans losing interest. I think some of it is you can go 10 or 15 minutes now without seeing a ball put in play in some games. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see a shift back the other way as players like Stephen Piscotty go, you know what, this doesn't work for me. Maybe if I go back to hitting line drives and having a good two-strike approach and doing the fundamental things, yeah, I won't strike out as much and, and maybe we'll score some more runs. Yeah, I, I think, too, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back the other way. Hitters will adjust. You're seeing it a little bit with shifts now. Now hitters are willing to take the ball and try and shoot it you know, to left field if you're if you're a left-handed hitter and they shift it far to the right. Uh, you're willing to take that pitch and go that way. Uh, you're going to have to because you're not always going to be able to hit the ball over the shift. Now, I know these teams are trying it and players are trying it, but there's not a lot of success. There's a lot of strikeouts and a lot of low averages, a lot of low slugging percentages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from guys who normally high average, high slugging percentages. So there has to be an adjustment. I think you're going to start seeing it. Yeah, that's not as fun a game to watch. It's just not. Um, now, uh, yeah. Before we go, we should probably take at least a quick look at A's potential All-Stars because we are, you know, several weeks out. Um, we spent so much time talking about Blake Trinan. He's If the A's have a one All-Star year, as they so often do, it, you, you've got to think he's he's absolutely the guy. But but what are your what's your take on uh, A's potential All-Stars? 
hundred percent on Feynman. Uh, I think he makes this team. And I think he deserves it. Uh, he's been a lockdown closer, a multi-inning closer, um, and he's you know he's been tremendous. Ten walks, forty-three strikeouts coming into the doubleheader on Friday. Uh, that's what you like out of a closer. You know, the other day against the Angels, where he hadn't pitched in a while and he had no control, uh, and he gets himself into trouble. Not since he's given up hit because he's not throwing strikes. That was such a rarity. More, he is just a strike thrower. He's getting out. He's got wicked stuff. All star. The only really other option I see, and I see it coming from the players' vote, would be Chris Davis yeah. at DH. Um, I'm not sure. I have not seen the players' vote ballot if it's the same as the public ballot, where JD Martinez is listed as a DH, uh, and he's actually played much more outfield this year. But as a true designated hitter, Chris Davis has been uh, as productive as anyone. Yeah. Yeah, and it's outrageous he's not even in the really in the voting. You know, out, the fan ballot, it's outfield, and he, he doesn't appear. So it's uh, it, it's kind of a it's, – it's, that's rough. You know, the guy that's hit more homers than anyone else in the game in the last two, plus, two and a half years, um, he, he should be there. Uh, I'd love to see it. One thing that's interesting is last year uh, he told me several weeks in advance of the home run derby that he had no interest in being in the home run derby. You know, uh, lots of guys don't for many reasons. Um, he's not a, a attention-seeking guy at all. He kind of prefers things, you know, where he goes a little bit under the radar. And a lot of guys feel like their priority should be their team and they don't want to get their swing messed up. Uh, you know, there's debate on both sides. Does it mess up guys' swings? Certainly we've seen evidence that, that some players go into some sort of uh, power droughts after they uh, participate in the Home Run Derby. But I wonder if the fact that he has made it clear that he does not want to be part of a Home Run Derby, if maybe that also might impact him when it comes to all-star selection. But, you know, if you're not an all-star, like you, as he wasn't last year, why would you want to go all the way just for the Home Run Derby? Yeah, I've always felt that. I always, I always thought it was strange when the nine all, all-stars took part in that. I, I like it that it's, you should be come from the all-star team. I'm a, I'm a traditionalist that way. Yeah. If you're there because you're an all-star, then you get to take part in the home run contest. Or, I know a lot of people don't remember this. Back when the A's hosted the all-star game in 1987, they actually had a skills competition the day before. It wasn't televised. We didn't have the whole big you know, all-star Tuesday, also Monday night and all that, but they had a skills competition, which was awesome. Yeah, Guys going from the that. outfield. I mean, how much fun would that be? I know they do it in hockey, and it's a big winner. It's basketball. NBA does a sort of a version of that. I'd love to see baseball bring that back. Yeah, that'd be great. Great idea. Get that, get that going, Feldy. Yeah, I'll make a call. Okay. In your role as an official scorer, hold, hold a box for a <laughs> hostage or something until they consider that. <laughs> yeah, I would love it. I, I mean, I really, I, I think Chris would be fantastic as an all-star. I still don't know if he would want to participate in the home run derby, even if he is an all-star. Um, but yeah, he, he, he really, he, he's a fan, a player that fans should know more about nationally. And he really, <laughs> he just absolutely under the radar everywhere, which is, which is a shame. He, he is. And you know what? He kind of fits. He's an Oakland A's player, right? He fits into the town, he fits into the stadium, a little uh, undeserved that people don't really know what he's capable of, but he shows up every day, he plays, he goes to work. I mean, when he missed the game in San Diego because he wasn't feeling well, I mean, it was just a shock, right? You knew, you you just had to think, how bad did he feel not to be able to play because he just shows up and goes to work and produces. And uh, to me, he's, he's, 
you know, of all these trades, and there's been a lot of good trades, a lot of bad trades, this was a steal. Oh, and you stole power, and it's, it's somehow great. Yeah, you're right. He is a perfect Oakland A. You know, he's a, he loves Oakland. He lived in Oakland one off season and absolutely loved doing so. He's working out at just a local, like a corner gym. And he's quirky. He's kind of a different cat. You know, he's got a kind of an offbeat sense of humor. He's He really is, you know, when you talk about A's teams, Raiders teams, stuff like that, he, he kind of fits that mold. I love it. All right, David Feldman, um, we will talk to you again hopefully next week or the week thereafter. Thanks, as always, for joining us on A's Plus. Thank you so much. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.